You're listening to teaching from Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. Dear Church, this is the message from the one who is the first and the last, who is dead but is now alive. I know all the things you do. I've seen your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance, and I can see your constant improvement in all these things. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Today we're starting a new series called Dear Church, and we're going to be talking about letters that God pinned to the churches in Revelation. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. And when we talk about revelation, it's important for us to understand that it's all about Jesus. Many times we get lost into trying to figure out, well, when's this going to happen? Or what does this mean? Or, or so on and so forth. And I want us to remember that it's all about Jesus. Revelation is all about Jesus. Secondly, it's important for us to, to remember that most of the images that's in Revelation is referring to something in the Old Testament. It's something in the Old Testament. So if you want to understand Revelation, if you want to understand John's writing in general, Get to know your Old Testament. Uh, another important thing to remember is that Revelation is different than most books of the Bible. It's apocalyptic literature. And, and this literature we're not always familiar with. We're not always, we don't always understand, especially when it comes to the Bible. And so many times people are puzzled and they're trying to figure out what it means. Well, I want to try to give you a little bit of a definition of it from a, from a biblical standpoint. It's a form of literature that largely involves symbols and imagery predicting disaster and destruction. It involves or descriptions of the end of the world. And most of this literature is normally written to people who are socially and politically oppressed. And they end up developing code language that insiders would get but outsiders don't understand. For example, depending on where you would live, you may not be able to voice your frustration with a political leader that may be persecuting you. You may not be able to go and say, he's a doofus. And so instead, they come up with code language that insiders would understand that outsiders wouldn't. And there's other examples of this literature in the Bible. For example, parts of Ezekiel, Daniel, Zechariah, Matthew chapter 24, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 uh, have this imagery, these symbols, these visions. It's, it, you, you see parts of this type of literature in uh, these passages. One of my former uh, professors, Mark Moore, pointed out uh, that most of us, we, we've uh, seen this type of literature in a song that many of you know. Uh, how many of you know the song American Pie? 
It was one of my father-in-law's favorite songs, and, and he's passed away, but we tend to sing it around the holidays. Let, let me just read a few of the lyrics. It says, a long, long time ago, and, and you don't want me singing it. That's why I'm going to go ahead and read the lyrics, because it would definitely hurt your ears. It says, a long, long time ago, I can still remember how the music used to make me smile. And I knew if I had my chance that I could make those people dance. And maybe they'd be happy for a while. But February made me shiver. With every paper I would deliver, bad news on the doorstep. I couldn't remember if I cried. And when I read about, all of, about his widowed bride, but something touched me deep inside. The day that music died. So bye-bye, Miss American Pie. Does anybody know what he's referring to, the writer of this song's referring to? What is American Pie? Well, Don McLean was writing this about the airplane crash of Buddy Holly. And what, did, what made him smile? It was the music of Buddy Holly. And what, what, what made people dance? What made people happy? It, it was the music of Buddy Holly. And that February that he's talking about was February the 3rd, 1959. Don was 13 years old and he was a paper delivery person or uh, paper delivery uh, guy in, in New York. And so he's delivering papers and he opens the paper up and he sees that Buddy Holly had died and he felt for his widow. Now, what, what you may not realize is that this song couldn't be played as a whole on the, on the radio because it was so long. It took a while. Uh, the, the song was 8 minutes and 32 seconds. And those 45 uh, vinyl records didn't have enough room for it to play all, all on one side. And so it took a while for them to actually be able to play the whole song on the radio. If you read through the rest of the lyrics, there's a lot of things uh, in the song that's puzzling, that make you like, what's he talking about? And Don was asked uh, this. He was like, hey, what does this song mean? Tell us about the rest of the lyrics. What, what does it mean? And he said, sometimes it's just good to leave it up to the reader. It's a song that, uh, that definitely talks about Buddy Holly, but there's some other things there that we're just going to leave up to the reader. And so sometimes when you're reading Revelation, you're like, I, I don't understand what this means. I, this imagery, all, all of these things, and, and some of it is code language. It maybe uh, it's going to be difficult to, for us to understand. Uh, another thing I want us to point out, or another thing I want us to point out, is that Revelation is not just informative, but it's also performative. It's not just informative, but it's also performative. Now, when I say Elijah, your room is dirty. I'm not just giving him information that his room is dirty. He probably knows his room is dirty. I want him to actually go and clean up his room. And so when we read Revelation, and especially when we read these letters, it's important that God is not just giving them information, but he's wanting them to do something. You should also know that Revelation is the only book in the Bible that says that you'll be blessed by reading it. Revelation chapter 1. Uh, another helpful fact that we should know that, uh, that when we're reading Revelation is that it's not a calendar, it's a template. Uh, we tend to read in a linear form, but Revelation is centrical. We often get worried about what's going to happen at this time, and, and we're trying to figure out all the events and, and, and what year and who and, and, and all of those things. 
And so I think it's important for us to realize it's not linear, but it's more centrical. It's a template. Now, when it comes to the Great Tribulation, that's a, that's a question that people ask me and ask our ministers on a regular basis. Hey, when's the Great Tribulation going to be? Or when is it going to be? And my answer to this would be, when has it not been going on? We've had Christians that have been persecuted over and over and over. Maybe not here in the United States, but around the world. And so I think sometimes we're sheltered uh, with our American eyes that we don't realize that other Christians are being persecuted. They're dying. They're being murdered. They're being thrown in prison. They're being beaten. And, and so I think it's important for us to realize uh, that, that this book right here, these letters that we're going to see, uh, that, that is being written to people who are being oppressed, that are, that are suffering. Uh, finally, let me summarize Revelation with these two words. We win. We win. You may not understand everything in the book. You may not under understand what this vision is or what this imagery is, but just realize this. We win. And, and I can take comfort in, in knowing that. I may not understand everything, but at the end of the day, no matter what we go through, we win. Now, since I gave you quite a bit of background on Revelation, even though I just kind of hit the tip of the iceberg, there's so much more that I could give you. I want to dig into Revelation chapter 2. The first letter is to Ephesus, and it's located near the western coast of modern-day Turkey. And it was the closest island to Patmos, where the author of this vision, who was writing this, John, it's the closest city to it. Now, Ephesus was the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. Uh, it was this, uh, a city that was the home of one of the seven great wonders of the world. It had shopping malls. It had indoor plumbing. Uh, it was a very rich place. It actually had light poles on the outside. It had a theater. Uh, it, they had gladiator shows. Uh, it, it was a diverse, violent, wealthy city uh, that worshipped many gods, and sexual immorality ran through it. Uh, Paul actually established this church, and he ended up spending three years in this city. And, and if you look, this church has more literature written to it than any other book. Not only do you have the book of Ephesians, you have First and Second Timothy, Acts 19 and 20, and of course, our passage today. So Revelation chapter 2, uh, starting at, at, at verse 1, it says, uh, write, this, write this letter to the angel of the church of Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things that you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. And you've examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You've discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without Quitting. But I have this complaint against you. Ooh, we, we had good news. We had a pat on the back, but now we hear the complaint. You don't love me or each other as you first did. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do, what, and, and do the works that you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Ouch. Ouch. So, good job. You, you work hard. You're patient in endurance. Your, your doctrine is strong. You don't put up with false teachers. Bad job. You don't love me like you first did, and you don't love others like you first did. God praises them, and he says, he says that 
that you've done all of these good things, but, but you've lost your first love. And some of you, you've been a Christian for a long time, and you can relate to this. Man, you were on fire for God, and you could not wait to read God's Word, and you could not wait to pray, and you could not wait to journal, and you could not wait to be a part of a church. But over the years, life gets busy, and sometimes your love for God just isn't as strong as what it once was. And the same thing is happening in this church. I think they've gotten distracted with other things like we do. But, but we see, 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 this happens so often, not only in our relationship with God, but, but I think it also happens in our relationship with each other. For instance, with, our, with my wife. Man, I spent so many hours uh, dating her when we were dating. We spent so many hours together. I, I was reading this statistic that the average couple, when they're dating, they spend 17 and a half hours with each other. But then after you get married, what happens? You end up getting so busy with your jobs, you're doing life, you've got things to take care of, you've got chores, kids come along, and you're running here and there. And next thing you know, that love that you had for each other, sometimes it grows distance. And in the same way, sometimes that happens with our relationship with God. And we see in this letter, it reminds us not to lose our first love. Has that happened with you? Is your love not as strong for God as, as it once was? Maybe you love God, but maybe your hard part is loving people. Maybe people just get on your nerves. Maybe you're just tired of people and, and, and they just irritate you. And, and I realize that it seems like people have really been on, on edge lately. But when we read God's word, if we love God, we're expected to love others. And so I, I want to spend just a few moments and talk about, well, how do we renew this love that we need to not only have for people, but how do we renew this love for, uh, for God? Uh, the first word I want you to remember is remember. Uh, remember, when I, when I have a couple that comes to my office and they're struggling uh, with their marriage, often I'll have, give them a little bit of homework and I say, I want you to go back and I want you to remember how you first met. I want you to remember some of the things that you did when you were dating. I want you to remember some of the good times. And so today I want you to spend some time thinking about when you first met Christ and what that looked like. I know for me one of my favorite things, when I get frustrated, when I get tired, I love to just go out and spend some time with our kids at Mother's Day out on the playground. When I get stressed out, when I get, when I get tired of people, when people are complaining, sometimes I'll just go out and I'll spend some time on the playground with our kids from Mother's Day out. And it reminds me uh, of just purity. It reminds me of joy. It reminds me of, of laughter. And, and we need those times in our life where we go back and we remember God is good. God does so many amazing things. People are good. Even when people get us, uh, people are, are on our nerves, we can remember that God is is good, and we can remember that not all people are bad. Second thing I want you to remember is in verse 5, it says repent. And so maybe some of you are convicted today. Some of you realize, you know what, uh, I, I've really kind of fallen away. I, I'm not cl as close to God as what I'd like to be. And what I want to encourage you to do is turn around and start coming back to God. And God is there waiting. He loves you. He's crazy about you. He wants a relationship with you. Hey, he, he's, he's like that, that father in the, in the story of the prodigal son. He'll let you go, but he's also waiting for you to come back. And, and that may be a word that some of you need to hear right now. You, you've kind of strayed, and God's saying, come back. I'm here. 
And so remember, repent, and then lastly, uh, return. God tells this church to return to its first love. Return to its first love. To to turn back and and to come uh, to him. And so I want to encourage you. Remember how God has been working in your life. Repent and say, God, I'm sorry for going off track. And, and, and then return. Go back into his arms. And, and so I want to just, just encourage you one last time. Take some time to reflect on this letter. And think about how not only does it, sp- or how it spoke to that, to that church in Ephesus, but how is it speaking to your heart?